Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Roth, but my friends call me the Booby Docs, my popular social media account where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and fun way. I'm a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging and image-guided procedures. I'm also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer and BRCA, so I know a thing or two about breast cancer. And this is my podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, this podcast is for you. Each episode, I sit down with top breast cancer experts, thrivers, providers, and those that love them to bring you the breast information. So get ready to learn, laugh, and let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please refer to your doctor with any symptoms or concerns you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Booby Docs podcast. I am so excited to be joined by three incredible women from the Breasties organization, an organization I absolutely adore, Kelly Goss, Lauren Oxenhandler, and Kelsey Litwin. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having us. So glad to be here. Thanks, Robin. So if you're not familiar with the Breasties, they like to say worst club, best members, which I love. Um, So the mission of the Breasties is to support and improve the experiences of breast and gynecologic cancer community through peer-to-peer connection, resources, and advocacy. And I love that about you. And you guys are the first all-inclusive nonprofit organization that creates a community for survivors, providers, thrivers, and and carevivors, which I love as well. And both of you have different uh, connections to the cancer community. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got connected to the breasties? Sure. Happy to. Um, So I was diagnosed uh, with triple negative breast cancer in July of 2017 after finding my own lump, just taking a shower and soaping up. Um, I was 30 at that time and uh, felt really alone and really terrified. I don't have any genetic predisposition uh, to cancer, um, but my doctor's convinced it's not genetic. Um, I'm of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. Um, so I went through six months of chemotherapy, um, had a double mastectomy with um, over-the-muscle implant reconstruction, and it wasn't until after I completed my six months um, that I found the Breasties uh, organization. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, officially reached five years out um, of being no evidence of disease this February. So I'm really proud to hit that five year mark and be here as uh, a leader and an ally in this space. Yeah. That's incredible. And the five year mark is a very important anniversary, especially in the triple negative community where breast cancer, if it's going to recur, it usually happens in those first five years. So I know they are constantly probably sitting on eggshells. Right. Right. Um, so you discovered your own lump. Yeah, that's correct. Doing a cell, were you doing self breast exams or you kind of just stumbled upon it? I stumbled upon it. I wasn't doing regular self breast exams. Um, but I was thoroughly cleaning my chest area and was like, that's not right. Um, and, and pursued care from there. When you brought it to the attention of your doctor, was it taken seriously right away or was it kind of blown off? Um, I kind of had a gut feeling when I had it. And so I was really strongly advocating for myself at the beginning. I had a male primary doctor at the time and he didn't hesitate to order the mammogram, but he was still very skeptical. Um, and once it came back that it was cancer, he was just like, I'm, I'm, I, he was floored really. Um, so was I, but, uh, 
uh, I was able to receive care um, and I feel and acknowledge the privilege therein in that. I think that's a really important point because, well, one, you have to be your own breast advocate. That's for everything. You know, all I say breast, but all health, you know, you have to be your own best advocate. And, you know, if something is off and it doesn't feel right, you know, bring it to the attention of your doctor. And I'm glad that he ordered the imaging without kind of saying, oh, it's nothing. You're too young to get breast cancer. You know, I understand that shock when it comes back. When I tell these doctors that they're 30 year old patient with no family history has breast cancer, everyone's shocked. Um, But unfortunately, it is common, as you all too well know. Um, So thank you for sharing your story. Sure. Happy to be here. And what about Kelsey? Why don't you tell us how you're related to the cancer community? Sure. So my mom is a breast cancer survivor. So I I grew up knowing about breast cancer, understanding how it happens, how it can play out. Um, And then when I was 22, I tested positive for uh, the BRCA1 gene variant. At the time, they said, listen, you're 22, you're young. Let's let's wait it out. We'll start screening at 25. Um, and then about six months before my 25th birthday, I felt my my own lump as well um, and was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer um, because obviously I was already sort of, quote unquote, in the system being followed. Um, I was be able to be diagnosed very quickly and seen very quickly, which I am grateful for that I didn't have to advocate for myself too hard because they they knew the risk was there. So they took me very seriously when I said, hey, something's wrong. Um, And so from there, I did uh, 16 rounds of chemo, uh, which also coincided with the start of the pandemic. So that timing was just a lot to process as a young woman who's, you know, finding her independence, starting to like live my own adult life for the first time. Um, And then had a double mastectomy with uh, direct implant reconstruction. Um, And I am now cancer free and working towards that five-year milestone. Oh my God. So, so many things you brought up. So you were trying to be proactive, right? Like you were going to start screening at the recommended age, which is 25 for MRI and 30 for mammography, but you were self-aware enough to feel that lump. And oh my God, I can't believe the timing of that all. That must have been, I mean, you're, that must have been a shock to everybody. It was, it was really shocking. And it was it's really interesting because as I've spoken to other people and told my story, a lot of people have kind of assumed like, oh, well, you must have been so angry with your team for not allowing you to screen sooner. And I'm like, well, they, they were doing the best with the information that they had. They were following the guidelines. It sucks that I was on the earlier end of the spectrum, um, but I can't blame anyone. And I am just so grateful that when things did happen, um, they took me really seriously. The one thing that I do, which is that I had an organization like the Breasties before, and then maybe prior to my diagnosis, I could have advocated more strongly because it was just a skill that I didn't have at that time. Right. Um, So, you know, when we talk about recommendations, screening recommendations, that's a point in time, right? Like you're not going to catch everybody starting at 25, unfortunately, like Kelsey mentioned, you know, like they're picking the most likely to catch the cancers and, but not catch, have too many false positives. And all these are kind of arbitrary numbers, even 40, you know, there's like, we know there are so many women that are going to get diagnosed with breast cancer before the age of 40, before the age of 30, but there's no screening test yet to identify who those young women are that are going to develop cancer early, which is why 
it's so important. One of the new recommendations that I really love is that um, women start having a conversation with their primary care or OB team about breast cancer risk factors starting at age 25 so that you could identify women who would benefit from early and supplemental screening, such as ultrasound and MRI. Um, and you want to do that before the age of 30, because like we said, you're going to want to start in your 20s and 30s for screening. Uh, and you were lucky enough that even you knew you were genetically positive at age 22, which is also very young. Absolutely. And I think that's where also having a parent who is also a young breast cancer survivor, my mom was diagnosed when she was 31. So that brings on the whole other sort of scale of recommendations of that children should be screened 10 years prior to their parents' age of diagnosis. So then that's why we started that conversation when I was so young, because we knew at 21, there wasn't much that could be done for me or that would be done for me. But it's important to be aware of what my risk factors were so that we could get ahead of it. I've seen people in their early 20s. So someone like you is very, very high risk, yet very young. You even start with ultrasound as a screening test. Um, you know, even every year, there's no radiation and there's minimal risk associated with the, the risk is that we might find something that's not cancer, but warrants a biopsy. But then we prove and, and, and go from there. Um, but even with that disclaimer, 10 years before your earliest first three relative, but not, we, we say, but not before age 25. So we'd miss people like you. Um, wow, so much to talk about. Um, but also, I want to hear from Kelly. Why don't you tell me about your relationship to the cancer community? Thank you so much for having us. Uh, yes, so I am a previvor. My mother is a two-time breast cancer survivor. My younger sister has also had breast cancer. And so um, I uh, was urged to get genetically tested on one of my annual um, uh, pap smear or annual exams. And so uh, I had uh, gotten the urging to do that years prior, and I decided not to do it. And um, I'm thankful for this one um, primary care physician that was um, extremely existent. And so once I got the tested, I knew that I had an 80% chance of getting ovarian cancer in my lifetime and a 75% chance of getting breast cancer. And so again, based on um, my mom's um, um, my mom having breast cancer as well, it seemed like the right decision for me to make at that time. And so it wasn't a decision that I made lightly, and certainly um, it wasn't a decision that everyone understood. But now, in hindsight, looking back at everything, I'm so grateful that I did. It definitely changed my life in all of the best ways. So the, um, you're talking about you had a prophylactic oophorectomy? Like, was that taking your ovaries out? Yes, I had actually had... Um, I actually had both of the surgeries done in the same day. Um, I had a, wow. um, I had, they call it a BRCA in a day, right? So I had a, a full hysterectomy and a mastectomy um, in the same day. It took three surgeons and the surgeries lasted for 12 hours. And I, I don't know if I would recommend that, but for me, it was the best decision for me because I felt like I was already going to be in surgery, right? Why not do everything at once? And um, I had um, my family here, so I had so much family support, and everyone rallied to make sure that I was well cared for and taken care of. And so I didn't want to further inconvenience them by having a secondary surgery. So again, it made sense for me to have both of the surgeries in the same day. And plus, I was able to simultaneously heal, I guess, because um, I was uh, had both of the surgeries, so I was able to, to get better at the same time. And to be honest with you, the recovery was fairly seamless, and I'm 
definitely glad that I was able to do it that way. Wow. That's a big surgery, big recovery. And it comes along with all these social and emotional and psychological things as well, because you're losing your breasts and your ovaries, you know, which in some ways, you know, makes us women, you know, so how did that feel like what, what was going through your head and what, why you said it was the best decision for you? Yeah, but I think that that was the toughest part. The toughest part for me was, um, you know, the first place you go when um, you get any type of diagnosis or prognosis is to Google. And so when I was searching around on Google trying to find um, pre-vivors or people that were having the surgery that looked like me, I didn't see anyone um, of color making that type of decision. And so it made me feel like the decision um, was not necessarily something that a person of color would do. And even though I felt like it was a, a, a good decision for me, again, um, everybody has their own personal experience, but I felt like it was a good decision for me, but there was nothing um, really to confirm that. And so even when I told uh, people that I know uh, that I love and that love me about my decision or how I thought that it would be a good idea for me to have a mastectomy um, and a hysterectomy, they frowned upon that decision. Um, a lot of them were like, well, you know, you haven't had cancer and you may never get it. And why would you have the surgery if you haven't had cancer? But I'm like, yeah, but I mean, I have an 80 percent, 75 percent chance. Like it just really makes sense. And so when I found out that people weren't um, really um, going to understand or when I felt like um, maybe I wasn't able to convey how important it was for me and my family, I really didn't tell anyone. And so I really uh, began to, again, scour the Internet and try to find people that were making the same decisions. And so that is one of the reasons why I think it's so important for um, people like me to actually share their stories so that when other people are making these types of decisions, they they are fairly represented or they're evenly represented um, so that they don't think that, um, you know, Um, it's not the best decision for them. So important for you to share your story. I just want to mention, you know, it's well discussed that Ashkenazi Jewish population has a higher rate of genetic mutations. But what we don't talk about is that so do people of color. So does a black community. And they're less likely to be offered genetic counseling, right? And there's resources out there. So it's really important that we're having these conversations. So thank you for help spreading this word. Of course. So you were, were you BRCA positive? Yes, I'm BRCA1 positive, and after I got tested, my mom and my sister also got test tested, and we're all BRCA1 positive. And so my mom had cancer she, uh, while I was in college, and then again um, uh, 20 years later. And so she um, has had a double mastectomy um, with no reconstruction. And my sister, after we were tested, we both got tested at roughly the same time. My sister... Um, uh, 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 got breast cancer after we were tested. And so, um, you know, it was an um, interesting time for our family, a very trying time. And um, just to see my mother watch one of her daughters go through an experience that she had gone through twice, um, that was further confirmation to me that I made the right decision. Because I don't think that I could put my mother through the same thing or I couldn't put my mother through that again. And so we also have a younger sister and she's actually been tested too. And she is um, BRCA1 positive as well, but she is um, now uh, pregnant. And so she's considering surgery after the birth of her child. Well, that that's incredible. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about, so you brought up, you know, your sister's pregnant. I wanted to talk about the issue of fertility. 
obviously you were all young when you got diagnosed with breast cancer, found out you were BRCA positive. How, what, what have you, did you do any type of fertility preservation or family planning? Sure. Yeah. I, um, prior to starting chemotherapy, went through the first half of the IVF process. So I did um, the egg retrieval um, and have some frozen eggs and even embryos with my partner, um, should we ever choose to use them. Uh, I was told I was basically infertile um, post um, chemotherapy. I did get a regular period back. Um, however, I wasn't taking birth control or anything like that, and I ended up having an ectopic pregnancy around this time last year, um, followed by surgery to to remove the embryo. So I learned quickly that I am very much uh, not infertile, and uh, that was a really big shock to the system. That's actually very scary because ectopics are dangerous, and you didn't even know you could get pregnant. Uh, yeah, so it was like in 30 minutes, I was like, you can get pregnant, and the thing is trying to kill you. So, Oh, my um, God. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, did you, so you had to have surgery to remove it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I don't have a left fallopian tube any longer. Wow. That's a scary situation. Yeah. Um, and what about you, Kelsey? Yeah. So also very grateful for a team who sort of guided me through that process and, and urged fertility preservation. So, uh, before I started chemo, I did, um, I also froze my eggs. So they are sitting waiting. Should I choose to use them? Um, and then I also, did um, use Lupron throughout chemotherapy in hopes to also preserve my fertility even further. Um, however, uh, following um, chemotherapy, and I, I can touch on this at another point, but um, I did also have a preventative um, salpingectomy. So I had my fallopian tubes removed. Um, so a lot of questions for fertility in the future and should I choose to have uh, my own children or, or what that might look like or what process I would have to sort of follow for that. So I just, I just spoke the episode prior to you ladies is um, the incredible women from a damn good life. And they are a surrogacy advocacy group and they are incredible as well. And they actually have a grant right now. They're going to be funding a surrogacy journey for one person who otherwise couldn't have it. So they're incredible. Um, yeah, surrogacy is a really, you know, you lose, you might lose your fallopian tubes, you might lose your ovaries, it might be a risk for you to carry a baby. So oftentimes, people who've been affected by breast cancer have to use a surrogate, you know, which can be a very expensive process. But thankfully, there are organizations like A Damn Good Life. Um, I'm excited to, I'm going to also hoping to talk to Chick Mission, which helps pay for the egg retrieval part of this whole thing. Right. So, so many layers and not to mention the fact that you just got diagnosed with breast cancer and now you have to sit in this fertility clinic with a bunch of healthy women who are excited to start, you know, their new lives with their husband. Uh, can I tell a funny story about religion to Please that? Please do. It might not be funny for everyone, but so I remember um, this was maybe, it was very quickly after my diagnosis. I was diagnosed on a Friday and I believe this was the, the following Tuesday or Wednesday. I went to the fertility clinic to start that You're process. 22, right? Uh, I was 24 at that point. 24, okay. Um, so I am sitting with the nurse and she's walking me through the schedule for all the injections to do to kickstart the egg retrieval process. And I sort of just broke down in tears just because like it was overwhelming. There was a lot of thoughts going through my head. And honestly, I didn't want to inject myself, in, inject 
myself to get that process started. So she comes around, um, places a box of tissues in front of me and starts rubbing me on the back. And she goes, don't worry, sweetie. Like, I know you're going through a lot, but you're not going to die. And I was just so caught off guard because I was just like, that is not what these tears were about. That is not at all what I was thinking in this moment. And frankly, I'm still not thinking about that other than the fact that like, wow, that is not what you should be saying to a 24-year-old who is sitting in your office right now. With with cancer, that's not something you should say to anyone ever, but especially a woman with cancer and going through this traumatic process, it must have been very triggering. It was it just like kind of, I, I think I, I kind of just stopped crying for a moment. I was just like, oh, weird, interesting. I haven't thought about that to this point. And I, it was truly like, it was never a big fear of mine. I don't think I let myself think that far ahead, but it just caught me so off guard in that moment. That's a horrible thing to have to go through. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Add that to the list of things not to say to a cancer patient. Exactly. <laughs> what are some other things not to say to a cancer patient? You have the good cancer, right? Yeah. My so-and-so died of cancer. Oh, yeah. My- mm-hmm. I'm trying to relate to you, right? Right. <laughs> oh, or at least you get new boobs. Oh, yeah. A free boob job. It's not a free boob job. There's nothing free about this. All right. So switching topics a little bit. But so tell me about the Breasties and why and how you became involved with this incredible organization. Sure. So as I mentioned, um, I hadn't found the Breasties until after I finished six months of chemotherapy at the beginning of 2018. And once I finally did on Instagram, I was like, where was this when I was trolling the scary Facebook groups, right? Like, how does this exist and how do I become a part of it? Um, It was in the early stages of the organization. They were doing their in-person retreats at the time. I was... uh, uh, great! I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I got to go on a retreat that the Breasties funded, and I um, had an amazing time glamping in Texas uh, with some Breasties and staying in some converted, um, what are they called, Con- shipping containers. Um, so that was an amazing experience connected with so many Breasties, and at that point I was actually living and traveling in my RV um, with my partner and my three cats, and so I wanted to create meetups virtually because I was on the road. So I came on as a volunteer and started uh, running a virtual aspect of the Breasties. And then about uh, six, seven months later, the whole world shut down and our in-person programming ceased to exist. Um, So that's when I was brought on board more formally um, to run uh, the virtual programming uh, aspect of our uh, programming. And now we have um, nine different um, online virtual support meetup groups. That was a lot of words. Uh, virtual meetup groups that meet um, either monthly or bi-monthly, uh, supporting our survivors, pre-vivers, thrivers, LGBTQ plus breasties, BIPOC breasties, gynecologic breasties, and a few more added to that. We just trained and onboarded an amazing cohort of 50 community hosts that will be holding down those spaces. Um, so I'm super proud to have um, those space holders here with us. And, you know, after, I guess it's still the pandemic, right? But as things started opening up again, we realized that the virtual aspect of our programming really is uh, a, a part of what we do. It's not going to stop. Um, so we just keep revamping it and um, adding more skills to it and things like that. Um, so that's kind of my pathway in <laughs> to the recipes as well. 
That's awesome. You know, I think I discovered the breasties around the pandemic when I kind of got more active with the booby docs and I was really blown away by the virtual programming and how you were just so all inclusive and the BIPOC and the LGBTQ plus, like it's so important that everyone has a space here, you know, and, and men get breast cancer and trans people get breast cancer. So it's, you know, everyone is affected by breast cancer in some way, and maybe they're right. ta- caring for their mother that has breast cancer. So Everyone has a space there. Everyone's welcome. And I love that for you. (laughs) Yeah. So definitely a passion project. And I'm really proud to be here. And the virtual is amazing because it really just, you know, with now with we've come so far with Zoom and everything, it's like people feel so close. I mean, we're all you're in Canada and I'm in Jersey. And it's so wonderful that it feels like we're right around the corner, even though now we can do in person stuff. It's still nice to have those virtual weeknight things, you know, got it. Yeah. What about you, Kelsey? How did you get connected? So similarly found the breasties on Instagram. I was already a few months into chemo at this point. Um, It took me a while to just want to open up to finding groups of resources online. Um, I was really comfortable in my little cocoon that I had built. Um, And so found the breasties on Instagram. I was like, this is what I've needed. I've needed to see other people who look like me, who are experiencing the same things that I'm going through, because that has not been my experience in in person support groups or at the hospital. Um, you you as a young person in a cancer clinic, you always get those stares and those looks and those sort of like questioning eyebrows of someone wondering like why is this person here? Who are they visiting? Um, and then when you're the person who sits in the chemo chair. You, you can tell people do double takes when they walk by you. Um, so to see a community of folks who were going through similar experiences and were at a similar place in their lives as I was, was felt really reassuring. Um, I was also looking forward to hopefully joining the Breasties on one of their in-person retreats, but um, then things shut down. So I was able to take advantage of some of the virtual programming that Lauren um, spearheaded um, and I, yeah, I felt so seen and so welcomed. And then when the Breasties launched the Peak, which is our um, platform for resources for those impacted by breast and gynecologic cancers, um, my background is in journalism and communications, and so I was able to sort of step in and offer my support in that way to help sort of create and edit. Um, and um, curate those resources. That's incredible. You know, before I went to med school, I really wanted to be a journalism major. I was an editor in high school in my college newspaper. And so I love that for you, (laughs) that you could use it in that way and help an incredible organization like this one, something you've been so impacted by. And I'm excited to talk to you on the peak as well. Absolutely. And you're you're doing the journalism thing right now. I'm doing the journalism thing. It's like full circle for me, totally. <laughs> so that's been that's like what I've enjoyed the most about the booby docs is that I get to use my writing and my creativity and helping the community as well. And what about you, Kelly? How did you get connected to the Breasties? I found the Breasties through an Instagram rabbit hole, and um, we all know about those. They happen after two in the morning when you're. <laughs> circling the the drains on the internet. And so it was a little bit before I actually had my surgeries. And 
so it led me to the Breasties, and then that led me to Paige, who's also pre-viver. And I just was like totally blown away because um, Paige as a pre-viver was living her life out loud. And I, um, I thought that that was amazing because I shared with you that um, my experience was so different and I chose to kind of keep it quiet and my circle very small about the people that knew. And so I just love that. And so um, I was just anything breasty related. I was uh, totally on top of I was so excited about all of their um, in-person meetups um, before the pandemic. And I wasn't able to get to, with, um, to one with the exception of camp, which was amazing. And um, once I got um, once I got to camp and I didn't know anyone there, um, I uh, kind of um, talked my sister into going with me and uh, she was uh I know it was super fun. and But when I got there, I knew I had to get there by plane, train, automobile, hot air balloon. I really didn't care what it took. I knew that I had to get there. And when I get, got there, it didn't disappoint. I had, um, it was just an amazing experience. It's like, it's like everything you've ever thought of um, in your mind coming to fruition. And so it's one of those things that I'll always take with me. And um, I hope that we're able to capture that moment um, this year at camp for others as well. And um, from camp, I, just, um, I was a breasty ambassador for the Atlanta chapter. And I was so excited about that. And um, yeah, and um, that's when I um, was able to uh, meet other personalities within the breasties as well, because it was a more um, tight knit community of uh, the ambassadors. And so I'm just really excited about everything that we're doing. And so from there, I was able to um, be the director of diversity, equity, of in- inclusion, and which has really been great because what started out as a handful of us really trying to make a difference, really trying to get things right within the community has now become um, more than 30 people with diverse background, diverse lived experiences. And it makes us all so unique and different. But those unique and distinct differences make us want to do the best that we can for the community. And I'm so excited about so many of the, the things that we've planned. And um, even at camp, will also be an important um, aspect of camp as well. We'll be um, doing a panel there. But all of the things that we've done throughout the community, I think, has certainly helped to elevate what we're doing in a collective space. So I'm really proud totally. of that. Totally. So speaking of Camp Breasties, woo! Moment of appreciation for, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know this is a long time coming. So tell me about Camp Breasties and what people can expect. I, I'm going to try to go. I really want to go. You definitely should go for sure. I, 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 I let's, let's just dive in. You definitely should go. I, um, I'm always amazed that when I hear people talk about the Camp Breasty experience is that it's different. They did different things. And that's the part that I love about it because it truly is a curated experience. It's the experience that you want and you can do everything because there'll be tons of things planned or you can do nothing and that's okay. But the part that everyone, I believe, that will leave saying the same thing or I, I, I honestly believe this is that they were able to find the people that know them and that speak to them, that hear them, that see them. And I really feel that everyone will leave having said the same thing in that regard. 
I'm a sleepaway camp girly, so like I love anything camp related. Lauren shaking her head, I bet she is too. Um, so camp breasty, so it, it sounds like the perfect way to just create a such a close knit community and just leave feeling so inspired and just connected. And that's all we're looking for, right? That's all anyone ever wants. So it's June first through fourth, yeah. right? And where is it exactly? It's near Newark Airport outside of New Jersey in the Poconos. Uh, we have capacity for about 600 breasties, which is more than we had at our camp in 2019. And, uh, you know, what we like to say and on our internal team is, you know, everything we do is by the community and for the community. So when people say they want stuff, we're like, okay, how high can we jump? And camp is a perfect uh, example of that, right? It's so intentionally created. There's so many different activations and ways to get involved. I know so many breasties are asking, like, should I come alone? And the answer is, heck yes, right? This is where you meet your people and where you get the opportunity to meet people. And showing up by yourself is a super brave way to be like, hey, I'm here. Let's dive into it. And we have some amazing community leaders that are there to help um, connect everyone, make sure the cabin leaders are taken care of. Um, and it should be a truly unique experience. I feel like that's one of those things you got to go by yourself, be yourself. Like this is your time to be yourself and like just get raw and real and, you know, cry and connect and all the things. Everything, all of that. It, it, it truly is. I don't think that, um, yeah, I, everything that you just said, I really believe that it's going to be an amazing experience. And I know that the level of attention to detail, the thoughtfulness that everyone has put into the planning and everything that's going on behind the scenes, I know that um, everybody will leave um, having felt the impact of knowing that they were cared for and thoughtfully, um, thoughtfully considered. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like the, the sense of community already from here. And, and registration is closing May 1st, right? That's correct. Yeah. If you're listening, this is your last chance to get in on this amazing weekend. It's going to be amazing. I, I know it. I could feel it. And this is a long time coming, right? Like it's been years. Yeah, our last one was in 2019 before the pandemic, and we really wanted to ensure the safety of our community when we have a big in-person event like this, because so many of us are immunocompromised. Um, so it's our it's our main um, focus right now as a team, kind of getting everything off the ground. Um, and you can register for camp at thebreasties.org slash camp where all the information is. There's a um, drafted schedule so you can see what kind of events to expect. Um, and yes, signing up by May 1st would uh, secure your spot. Um, Lauren, I know you're a transformational life coach and a Reiki practitioner. Are you going to do anything spiritual with the groups? <laughs> um, you know, I haven't talked to them about it specifically. Um, as a space holder in general, I'm always kind of activating my Reiki and being really conscientious of the space that I take up and how I interact with people. Um, but uh, definitely, especially on individual connections, I love talking about that that part of my life and um, how to support other people. But yeah, um, it's, it's definitely led me into... Uh, developing my skills in this role as a trauma-informed space holder and creating trainings and stuff for our, our folks that will be the community leaders there as well. Um, so, yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. I love I love all the spiritual things. Like, I think there's definitely something deeper and, you know, being able to connect with that just makes you a more well-rounded person, right? That's been my personal experience, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what other exciting events do you guys have planned in the upcoming future? 
Well, I think we need to shout out the app, um, which is our amazing new resource. And it's also where you have to join our Zoom virtual events. So those are our ongoing recurring events that you'll have. Those are the biggest um, access points to people in the community. Um, and to be uh, a part of those, you need to get on the Breasties app, which is accessible via the desktop as well, um, which is uh, app.thebreasties.org um, as well. Um, it's a great place to find people to meet up with in person, right? Be, find those local connections and build a local community, right? Um, so that's a really amazing way to get tapped into um, the community uh, virtually and otherwise. Um, and I do know we have some programming coming up in person uh, in the fall, but we're not at a place where we're ready to share that yet. It'll be a smaller event, a day-long thing. Um, but camp is our main programming in person for the year that we're organizing as an organ as a as a team organization. That's incredible. And also, you guys have lots of local subchapters of the Breasties, which I think is important to mention. So that team has shifted a little bit as we've like devolved into virtual programming. Yes, some of our chapters are still active and will host in person events. Um, there unofficial Breasties events, if you will, um, at this point in time where we're kind of encouraging our community members to take the initiative and hold those spaces just because our resources that, as a leadership team are really limited. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there are some active chapters. I know the SoCal Breasties is one of them that does some meetups as well. Um, so feel free to check those out. You can find them on the apps too um, and make posts and see who's in your local area to meet up. And I'm just going to jump in uh, jump off of that. The app is so great because the searches that you could do are really next level. So it's wonderful to be able to search and see who's in your area, searching your city, um, even finding people who are visiting. Um, so there are really great ways to make those local in-person connections if that's something that is calling you. Um, but you also can search and see who's had similar treatment plans or surgeries or is on like a similar medication and you want to know what their experience is, you're able to put all of those details in your profile so that you can make connections and get answers that are more curated and more personal than what you'll find when you just Google things or when you ask your doctor. I think so much of the, you know, it's so important that you have a place you can go for reputable information from people that you trust because like obviously the internet is a horrible it, it can be an amazing place but it also could be a horrible place if you stumble on the wrong you know Facebook group and you're just like I'm going to die you know and nobody is like me so I think it's really important that people have organizations like yours where you know it's a big community and you know you're gonna get all the different opinions but at the end of the day they're reputable and trusted and you know friends that you can trust. You know, I wanted to mention, you guys said you all found the breasties through different ways, and you mentioned Paige Proviver. And honestly, that's how I find, I'm a huge fan girl, love Paige. And that's how I found out about the breasties too. And I'm embarrassed to even mention this, but I'm a breast radiologist, and I had never heard the word Proviver mm. used before. Even though my cousins are Habraca mutations, and I never heard the word Proviver. So really, that was like my initiation into getting educated on the patient side. And that's actually what helped me kind of make the booby docs, like wow. was realizing that there was that lack in knowledge between the doctor who's diagnosing you and the person who's getting the diagnosis and the kind of the impact and the role we play. So kudos to Paige, love her. 
Well, and kudos to you for making that connection. Yeah, and and this, we're really grateful. Yes, yeah, certainly. I've really learned so much from the breast cancer community, and it makes me be a better doctor and just more empathetic to what people are going through. Like, I never really even thought about the fertility aspect of it. Like, you know, I unfortunately am the person who often diagnoses someone with breast cancer. And then I send them away. And then like, you know, I obviously I'm empathetic when I give the diagnosis, but you know, I never really followed up with what happens. I see them in a year when they come back and everything looks good and they, we give a hug. And, um, but just really getting to understand that, that what that year that, that happens, you know, the year or two that happens after the breast cancer diagnosis and the lifetime of trauma that it kind of comes with Mm -hmm. has been really transformative for me and really is what my, the booby docs is about. So I love learning from you guys. I think that's why it's so important for um, everyone. Well, not everyone. I mean, um, as you are comfortable, but I think that's why it's so important for others to share their stories because um, breast cancer isn't one size fits all. And it's not this perfect palette that you have to color inside the lines. Everyone's experiences are different. And so I think that it's necessary for others to share so that you see yourself represented in some of those experiences, right? Because, um, you know, it just makes sense because, again, like I shared earlier, if you don't see yourself represented, you think, oh, you feel isolated and you feel alone. And so even if there is a hint of familiarity in someone else's experience, you kind of feel that connectivity. And that certainly will help you in the process. And in the recovery in a lot of ways. And so I think that it's so important for if you are able to share or you're able to uh, help someone along the way, that will certainly make a difference in the long run, not just for them, but for you as well. I love that. And also I've realized, you know, unfortunately breast cancer is not something that we're like taught about in med school. It's not like a rotation. There's not, you know, you like a lot of primary care doctors and even OBGYNs aren't educated on breast uh, health the way you think that they should be educated, like as you as a patient want your doctor to be educated. So really I've understood, I've come to understand that my role as a doctor that is a breast cancer specialist is to kind of educate doctors that women under age 40 get breast cancer. And, you know, and these are the concerning signs. And, you know, it's so easy to evaluate with an ultrasound and, and or a mammogram, like, let's just, you know, l- don't, be a block, you know, don't gaslight a patient if they're coming with a symptom that they're worried about, you know, just order a mammogram ultrasound. We always say start with ultrasound before the age of 30. Over the age of 30, we're going to want to get a mammogram and an ultrasound. And the reason that we're doing that is not because one that we might, your breasts are no longer sensitive, as sensitive to the radiation as they previously were before the age of 30. And um, it's very, it's not uncommon for 30 year old women to have cancer. So sometimes uh, a woman will come in with a palpable lump here and they'll have calcifications over here that were able to diagnose DCIS at age 30 when they wouldn't have had it till they were 40 and it would have been a lump and palpable at that time. So really this is our opportunity just to take a look at the breast. Otherwise we're not going to see them until they're, you know, 40, 50 if you ask some doctors, which is crazy to me, but right. we'll save that conversation for another time. I'd like to add, too, um, I just think that it's important also for, uh, like I shared, uh, my doctor was very persistent about me getting genetically tested. 
And so I wish that more doctors actually did that because even if you don't have the surgeries like I did, knowing what those numbers are, that helped me to make an informed decision. So maybe my decision may not have been to have the surgeries, but maybe now that I know those numbers, I can do increased surveillance. So I just, um, everyone that I meet, you know, my, my recommendation is if you do nothing else, then definitely have, um, have genetic testing done for, for certain. A hundred percent. My cousins were BRCA1 they were diagnosed with breast cancer and found to be BRCA1 after diagnosis in their 30s out of nowhere. Like it was a spontaneous mutation. So you never know. And knowledge is power. Like you said, you may not choose to have a mastectomy when you're 25, but you may start getting an MRI and you might think about reproductive options maybe a little earlier. So you're not forced to do it when you're diagnosed with breast cancer at 36. And then you really have to kind of face those issues once it's late. So also, I'm really happy to say that I have a, um, I, I work a lot with J, Get J Screened, and they're an amazing organization. I have a code for free genetic testing and counseling, 50 codes, SNJ2023 will give you either free reproductive um, or cancer screening or both. So I will link that also. So that's, that's great. Amazing. Yeah. So, you know, genetic counseling is so much more available now these days. So thanks, right. thanks to incredible organizations like yours and theirs. So. Yes. Genetic, you know, knowledge is power. Absolutely. What's your best advice to young women or just women in general or anyone in general who's been affected by breast cancer or newly diagnosed? Um, I always think about the fact that no one will advocate for you the way that you will. And so you have to be your own best advocate because otherwise People might let things slide and that's not out of any sort of malicious intent or any desire for you to like experience any harm, but they just don't know and no one will care about your health the way that you will care about your health. And so take that with you into every appointment with every healthcare provider who you see, know that you need to get the answers that suit you and that work for you and that make sense for you. A hundred percent. Yeah. What about you, Lauren? What's your best advice? I would remind people that doctors have opinions and that you also have the power to interview and find doctors that meet your needs, especially when it comes to considering reconstructive options, if that's something you're looking into. People have different ways of doing things and different things they specialize in. And just because they're the specialist in something doesn't mean they're the specialist in the best reconstruction for you. So really evaluate your options, see different doctors, get different opinions, ask your breasties on the app for local doctors in the area, right? That's a really great way to find um, the types of reconstruction that are going to support you best. And also to really care for your mental health, right? This is a full body experience, both emotional, mental, physical, and just to really be sure that during all of this, you're doing everything you can to care for your mental um, and emotional support, whether that's with a therapist, uh, psychiatrist, all of the above, support groups, the besties, whatever it may be, um, just having resources to support your full um, your full self. Yes. And going off what you said, um, don't be afraid to get a second opinion from a doctor that may not be the best fit for you. And it's okay if your friend loved them. It doesn't mean you have to love them. And um, uh, your healthcare team is really a long-term commitment right? It's not just a fling, you know, you're not going to see them for a few months, like you're going to see them years from now, you know, their survivorship that we haven't even gotten into, but you know, it is a law, it's like a marriage. So make, you know, choose your partner, choose your doctor wisely and make, find the right fit. Right. 
And with the little cap, little addition to that too is when you get diagnosed uh, with a, a genetic predisposition and or cancer, the timeline is very, very rushed. They want you to do everything tomorrow. And sometimes tomorrow needs to be the next day because you want to meet with somebody else too. And that can be okay. Right. Just listening to yourself. Yeah. You know, I don't most, in most cases, like the extra few days won't make a significant change in your outcome, but you're going to at least be able to have that peace of mind that you did the right thing for you. You got it. Yeah. Great. And what about you, Kelly? Um, same. Mine is very much in, uh, in line with what um, Kelsey and Lauren already shared uh, is to trust your voice. Um, I think if I had done that um, early on or initially, I think that um, it would have been a much better experience because it's already a total mind blast to cut off to perfectly good breasts. And to um, have the background noise or outside influences weighing in on a very, very personal decision uh, really made the, um, the experience uh, pretty challenging. And so I would say trust your own voice. And so for those people who are like me or who may be like me that are looking on the Internet and trying to find yourself, and, and even though you think it may be a good decision, but no one else seems like they're doing it, trust your own voice. And so that's the advice and guidance that I would give because I really believe that had I done that early on, it would have been a much better experience moving forward. Well, I love this conversation so much. I really appreciate all of you sharing your stories and you continued to help so many people. And thank you for everything you do for the breast cancer community. I love the community you guys have created. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's a true pleasure to be here and uh, have this conversation with someone so knowledgeable about the space that we occupy. So thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for all you do to help advocate for patients, both in your profession and through your through, through your journalism. Thank you so much. It's given me like it's it's taken my career to a new level. And I just come to appreciate just everything that the breast cancer community go, and the cancer community goes through. Yeah. Well, and it's beautiful to see a doctor who cares about the humanity of the individuals they're diagnosing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, that's a true, that's a true gift um, that a lot of folks don't have uh, the privilege of experiencing. So just want to honor you for that. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you all. Oh, thank you all for your patience too. Thank you so much, Robin. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation or learned something new, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and help spread the word. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. And of course, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms at The Booby Docs for more of the breast information. And a huge thank you to my podcast producer, Christian Cuveta, an amazing medical student who also wrote and produced the music for the show. Take it away, Christian. Christian.